Welcome to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, your home for everything related to marathon canoe racing. Now, it's time to get your paddles wet with your hosts, Kevin Olson and Bill Mahaffey. Take it away, boys. Welcome back, race fans, to the Canoe Race World podcast. I'm Kevin Olson, uh, your host, always joined by my co-host Bill Mahaffey and other co-hosts tonight, Rebecca Davis and Ryan Matthews. How are we doing tonight, everybody? I'm great. Doing really well. Thank you, Kevin. I will go with great and really well as well. Thank you. <laughs> How are you, uh, Kevin? I'm I'm doing fantastic. No complaints on here. We have a great show lined up. It is the General Clinton a recap show. So we did a, a nice long episode for the, the pre-race. And we're going to chat about everything that went down for the Clinton weekend. We are now a week and a half or so um, post-Clinton. So... It is well in our rear view, but uh, we did want to break down all the action for you guys and so you guys can have more of a detailed uh, account of the happenings of the weekend. So for those of you that don't know, uh, Rebecca and I both uh, performed th- this weekend and uh, and Bill and Ryan were spectators at afar. But I think we have some some good things to share with you guys. And uh, in an upcoming episode, we do plan on uh, trying to um, chat with the new champions, Mike Davis and Steve Lajoie, about their their latest uh, win. So You should have just, like, spoiler alerted everybody. You gave it away. <laughs> it's called hyping the next episode, Bill. <laughs> okay, okay. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't listen to this whole episode. (laughs) No, no, this one's the one for all the behind the scenes action. Exactly, exactly. Let's, uh, before we get into results, let's talk about the conditions. These were different uh, conditions than some other uh, General Clintons. Because of the dam releases, I think, would be the biggest story. Would you agree, Rebecca, that that's probably the biggest story of how the conditions were? Yeah, I think, uh, especially leading into the race, Evan was really nervous as we watched the gauge drop lower and lower and lower. And then also we're hearing rumblings that there wouldn't be a release at Goodyear, uh, which usually is kind of the big release that helps the second half of the course be more more or less easily navigable. Yeah. For those of you that aren't familiar, generally they do either two or three releases. There's the release in Cooperstown at the hospital, which really just affects from there until about Milford, which is about two hours into the race. And then there's the Goodyear release, which goes from, you know, Portlandville, Goodyear, uh, uh, you know, it's actually Collierville Dam. Is they, that's a hydroelectric dam that they release water from. And then that usually gives us more water from there, that point until, you know, about, you know, Wells Bridge. And then there's the East Sydney Dam, if I'm uh, not mistaken, which then helps from like Unadilla to the finish. From all accounts that the Goodyear Dam was broken and they were not going to release water from it. And... From my personal experience, I don't think that they did release any water from it. I think any of the extra water that we got was just 
spilled over from the Cooperstown release. Yeah, that's so I believe they released water at Cooperstown earlier than usual in mm-hmm. hopes that it would make it down to the Goodyear section because again, if you're not familiar with the course, uh below Goodyear Dam to Oneana can be one of the hardest sections on your boat. Uh, Definitely lower down can be really hard too, but that's a pretty technical section of river um, where, where it can be pretty difficult uh, to get over to the channel in time. If you're not familiar with it, it did appear that a little bit of water, at least from when I scouted on Saturday, like there was a little bit more on race day or I guess Friday. Um, So on Sunday there was a little bit more water and it did seem to help that section I do think what they released in Cooperstown that the water at the first two hours of the course I thought was like really good Um, I don't know what you thought Kevin yeah I mean I thought the I mean if I wanted to give a synopsis of how the water was in the course I would the basic synopsis is the top the swamp and the top section was perfectly fine no issues it was a great level enough flow not too much flow to to bring you into any sweepers or anything like that. You know, not too low where you you had to worry about hitting anything. It, it definitely was up from Friday. Was able to get into the swamp cut except for the last portion. I had to get out and and readjust. And I don't know if anyone could go through the whole swamp cut freely, but that was, I was also went an the, hour before. Yeah, the, the C2s were making it well. The boat in front of me didn't make it through. We made Norman and I did. I mean, you're you're rubbing, but it also helps like when you follow someone in there and you're like, oh, don't go where they just went. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um yeah, we didn't have to get out, but it was definitely rubbing. But that's I'd say fairly typical for that cut, you know, mm-hmm. about half the teams make it and half of them are running. Yeah. And then uh, on the conditions note, like up on the swamp, how was the debris? Like, did we have any carnage? Did we have any extra unplanned tippage? Anything like that that's mentionable? I mean, I I know that in my race, I was with a a, a surf ski and there was one log that was like straight across. It was like just enough water to like, you know, keep it the log wet on the top of it. I was able to go over it. He hit it. He tipped over. I know that a couple other people had issues at that spot. I know John Webb tipped over in the swamp somewhere. I don't know exactly where. And I know a bunch of a couple of C4 teams tipped in the swamp too, if I'm not mistaken, right, Rebecca? Yeah, they they very well may have. I believe there was a couple of things that washed down, and I'm not sure if they were the same for Kevin as they were for the C2s. But there was. A couple of spots that were tight that I know took some teams in. Again, that's sort of typical of the swamp. No matter how much they clean it up, you have that many wakes go through and something will well, get dislodged. Great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, there was one. There was one place where we had to zigzag through some trees, and at the like, I couldn't see it. And Norman's like, "Oh, we're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay." And you just hit it, and we were fine. But like you. You know, <laughs> like that was that was a little tighter than we wanted it to be. But I think that was about the only thing we hit the whole race. So I can't complain too much. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say the swamp was pretty uneventful this year. I think they did a good job cutting it out. Sometimes, you know, they, they I mean, they can only cut out as much as they can cut out. And sometimes with how the current runs, it's just there's no good way. So there's like, like bad sweepers you can get dry, you can get pulled into. And I didn't really notice that this year. 
going back to kind of the water levels. So after that, you know, uh, I mean, Milford to Portlandville is going to be pretty, pretty similar year to year for the most part. Uh, seemed pretty similar this year. There wasn't any bad, uh, no, no bad like headwind to, to sort of speak. Actually, there was a bad, you know, where there was a bad headwind coming off the lake for us. But I saw videos and I'm like, I think that wind died down by the C two when you guys went in C two. I don't know. Uh, we had we had some headwind on the on the lake after the initial start. I mean, more than I would say. Typically, I don't think of any wind really at the Clinton, and yeah. we definitely had had some like enough that made um, teams a little uncomfortable turning around to for the start. You know, mm-hmm. it, again, nothing major, yeah. but like just enough that when you're kind of on edge and a little jittery anyway, you're like, oh, this isn't really that nice. And to just like sit on the line a little bit felt. Oh, like, yeah, it was chilly. It felt a little cl- like, well, and a little claustrophobic. Um, you mm-hmm. know, we had, I don't know, roughly was it around 80 C2 teams. And it was it was a tight starting line with that little bit of headwind cr- creating some small waves. It was enough to kind of be moving people around. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, which which way was the the wind hitting the boats as they're sitting on the line? You were facing it, so it was a headwind when you're sitting on the line, um, which you know is is the easiest to handle. But it's still, like I said, it was a pretty tight line. They did force us to start between. Um, they have kind of pontoon boats that marked the starting line for the C2, and also some buoys, and we had to start between the boats. Ah, they enforced it. You had, had they to- did enforce it, and it was. I mean, it was pretty tight. Not not bad, just, you know. Right, it was, yeah. You had to be comfortable with your neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so then the, the water section, you know, between Milford and Portlandville was, was quite, you know, normal. I'd say below Portlandville was low. I, I had to run the, the shortcut. For people that don't know, the, the, the rule is, is that if you keep your feet wet, you uh, can run, uh, you you know, you can take the line. And uh, there was enough water for it to be legal, but not enough water for me and my C1 or Ben and his C1 to run. We both ran it. So we still think it was faster to run it than to go around. Um, but I think in that next section was like pretty like pretty easy. Like uh, I didn't think the lines were too hard to decipher and the current wasn't too, you know, I thought that was actually surprisingly uh, easier than I was anticipating it. And then from Oneana to Wells Bridge, in my opinion, was like the deadest I've ever seen it. I paddled that section quite a bit, and there's a section between um, uh, Mike Packard's house, which is about five miles from Wells Bridge, to Wells Bridge, where there's a couple of um, rock bars that cut across, and there's always current that sweeps around these rock bars. First off, these rock bars were quite prominent, but there was absolutely no current. (laughs) going around these rock bars i mean it was the most like flat conditions in this section of the river that i've that i've ever encountered and then after wells bridge it seemed to pick up and it seemed to be you know good levels i mean i only scraped three times two were very i mean very minor i mean you could barely call them a scrape 
And the one was me picking a bad line and going over a huge uh, um, rock wall <laughs> in Oneana. <laughs> but that's what I would say for the water levels. It was low. It was low, but it wasn't like dangerously low. If you just like took your time and watched your line, really, you know, you had to be very diligent with your line. But it wasn't like you shouldn't have, you shouldn't erect your boat with that level. I don't know. How do you feel, Rebecca? Yeah, I so I scouted on Friday and Saturday, and everything that I scouted was higher in the race. So that's always a good thing, right? When mm-hmm. when you can go scout it and say, "Oh, it was tight," but you know we were able to make it without scraping. Or when we did scrape, it was a river reading error. You know, just kind of getting used to the the lay of the land. Um, so I was happy to see everything was at least a little bit higher on race day. And it seemed like most people were making it through pretty clear. I did see some running, um, but you know, in a race that long, there's, you're, you're not always going to take the best line, even if you try your hardest. So, mm-hmm. um, and That's it wasn't mistake. much. I just saw a couple of times. Sorry, what Bill? I said sometimes mistakes are made and it's okay. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But it, you know, it wasn't, um, didn't seem to be any really boat wreckers. I wasn't seeing people stuck on, on gravel bars unexpectedly. And Mike and I were talking about it. We thought it might actually have been a little bit easier to read because it was at a level where like most of the water was all going in one place where if it had been say six inches higher, you would have a lot of those gravel shallow spots like covered a little bit, but not enough to, to maybe make it through. Um, so that kind of ended up working out well. And if you look at the times, I mean, like I would say historically, I'm like, okay, this is a little bit of a low water year, but this isn't a, you know, a historically low water year. Yeah, for sure. I, I totally agree with that. It was definitely, yeah, it was, it was, it was almost like an odd level. And that's why I, you know, wanted to preface by talking about the dam releases, because I feel like most years when you look at like the, if you look at like the gauge, it can be a good indicator of where the the, the level is over the course of the race. Whereas, and I don't think that the gauge really indicated, um, I think there were sections that were lower uh, and less flow. Uh, this year than others, but there was other sections that had a little bit more flow than a, a, a low water year. So you, you know what I mean? You get like kind of uh, varying. Yeah, conditions. it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't consistent for the whole course, which normally with the three releases, it's very consistent. Yeah. Other other conditions wise, it's a beautiful day. I mean. I was expecting it for it to be partly cloudy, and I don't think that I got partly cloudy. I think it was pretty pretty full sun. Um, I had no complaints on the on the sun sun side of it. Um, was it a little bit hot for you guys, Rebecca? Or uh, I mean, it it wasn't too no complaints. I mean, <laughs> I'm used to it being about sixty degrees right now, but. Um, you know, there's years when we go out to the Clinton and you haven't had a day over 70 and then it's like a hundred. So I can't mm-hmm. complain about like a 75 degree day with some sun. That, that's pretty optimal. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was supposed to be 75, but I, I want to feel, I feel like it, it crept up to 80, but, um, but still, it was still, you know, you can't, you can't beat those conditions. I mean, I've done plenty of Clinton where you're, it's just downpouring the whole day. And so, you know, we'll, we'll definitely not complain about that. So, 
Um, but yeah, so for those of you that weren't there, those are the basic uh, conditions. Is there anything you want to add to the conditions for the day, Rebecca? No, I think we got it covered. Okay, great. So let's uh, let's let's keep moving along. Let's uh, let's chat about uh, the results. So let's uh, start off with a, a new class this year, which is the the C four Pro class. Um, which you're, uh, you had family that was uh, participating in this class, correct, Rebecca? Yeah, my parents have fielded a C4 team, I think, every year since the C4 has started as a as a amateur class at the Clinton. And this year they had a pro. Um, and one of the things that came with that, so the difference between the amateur and the pro is the spec of the C4. Um, that racing C4 has changed quite a bit over the last 10 years and they're kind of just settling into what a C4 should look like and, and be built like. So um, that was kind of, I guess the main, one of the big stories out of the C4 race is uh, all the top three teams were all in a different design. And uh, the, I believe the first place team, which was Gary Apria, Paul only Tim Garland and Gloria Wesley, they were in a grass river C4 the second place team, I call it the Wells Bridge team, uh, with Bob Zavarell and Jeff Schultes and company, which I don't have the results right in front of me for them. Sonny John Young were the other two paddlers. Okay. Both, they literally Thanks. call themselves Wells Bridge Towing. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, they, they historically have a team. They were in a Savage River uh, Pro C4, so a little bit different design uh, than the Saranac 4, which is the stock. And then um, my parents were in a Reimer Canoe Shop 4, and uh, that's what they've raced at the Adirondacks and stuff. And um, they felt like they were they were a little under under uh, prepared with with their equipment choice, but. Um, hmm. They also, <laughs> but that's isn't that isn't that the boat that's won the won the um, ninety? Yeah, it, it's won the ninety, and it's won the Clinton when they've allowed that spec before. Um, but you know, just over time, the the boats have evolved. You know, and that yeah. boat's a little bit older, a little bit. It's a more volume for sure. And they don't think that's the reason they got third. They think they've squarely deserved to be third, regardless of design. But I think they're eyeballing uh, maybe something new for for next year's seventy. Um, so <laughs> they're figuring out logistics on that still. But um, you know, they want it. They they don't want that to be a limiting factor for them. So right. Uh, I think big news is I believe Gary Apria tied the most Clintons with this finish. Um, I believe he tied it. I think he's at 44. Um, so that's that's a, a big deal. And then also won the C4 class for the first time. So um, those top three teams, there's been a lot of parity. Now they've all won um, at least once, and they're usually pretty tight. So uh, that, that class, at least at the top, is very um, alive and thriving. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And a lot of those, uh, they do the 90, too. I know Paul only does yep. the 90 uh, regularly in, in, in that crew. So um, they're, they're, they're usually out there when there's a C4 race, that's for sure. Yeah, they're, they're probably maybe in different, they might be on different teams, but there will probably be some rematches at the 90. So usually the only, the only family fields their own team 
Um, Gary and Gloria will have a team. I'm not sure if my parents will be out there this year or not, but um, there's always a lot of C4s up there. So that'll be a good good weekend in a few months. Yeah, for sure. Um, so why don't we move on? Then there was the, the C1 Pro. We'll, we'll talk about that race. Um, that was the race I was in. Uh, I came in second behind my uh, good friend Ben Schlimmer. Uh, Schlimmer, he, he, he crushed it from the get-go. Um, it was close on the lake, and then it was not close for the next half, and then it was close the rest of the race. And if, if that's the, the, the short version of it. But um, it was, you know, a long day for, for us in the C1s. You know, uh, Ben... Ben's time was uh, 8:41, um, and I was uh, 8:51. And then uh, Mike Packer rounded out the the uh, pro uh, results uh, at 9:59. So when when you're out there 10 hours, man, that's a long day. So I, I did want to give a shout out in this though to Ted Kenyon. Um, he was in the men's 50 and over in the amateur and. Uh, was battling it out with John Webb, um, which who was the third place pro, um, and just barely, uh, barely got ousted, um, but was only a minute within uh, John Webb. So that is a, that's actually a really uh, a good performance in the in the amateur class um, for C1. You usually don't see him, uh, it, you know, up there. Um, but yeah, it was pretty uneventful race. It was about a, you know eight hour and 45 minute time trial um and about an eight hour and 35 minute time trial for ben (laughs) so um you know and then uh i don't know if ben got to see how many c2s but i got to see uh the top three c2 teams uh uh plow past me so um but we'll we'll touch on that more when we're talking about the the C2 race. So um was glad to battle it out with those guys and uh it was uh, it was a good race. Congratulations on that second place, man. I know you put a Thank lot you. of work, a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort into this. There was a lot of build up. Yeah, um, for sure. How do you feel? Like you, you did it all, you did all the work. Mm-hmm. You're on the line. You know what? It, it felt it felt really well. It's one of those things that when you know you performed your best, it doesn't matter what your placing is. Um, you can just rest, you know, knowing that you performed um, the best that I, you know, that I could. I didn't fade. I, I went back, and uh, me and Ben are really close, so I asked him for his data, and I uh, and you've seen it, Bill. Yep. Um, the whole second half, you know, I was pulling little bits of time on them. So the fact that I didn't, you know, and that's the best second half of that race that I have ever done. So I bet you I could go back and if if I had another C2 time with a with the same water level, I bet you I could, I would have faster in my C1 um, than I would have been in, in my C2 sometimes. So, um Really happy with that. Really happy with how my uh, gear performed. I uh, used a, a new prototype paddle from GRB this year, um, and it, you know it's an eight ounce paddle, so I was uh, kind of worried with uh, the water levels, but um, was very happy with how that performed. Uh, my stinger did great. I think uh, the one issue when I was looking back, I lost the most time in the deep water. 
um, which I knew was potential because A, um, Ben just has a higher power output than I do. Um, and then B, I'm a little bit light now. When I first got my Stinger, I was like 180, and that's actually a really good weight for it. But now I'm like 160. And so um, I've just over the, the course of the year, I knew that I struggled to get the very highest, you know, high top end speed um, in the deeper water in the in the Stinger. It does phenomenally well in the shallows and very well in the um, twisty turnies because um, it controls so well. But it was just that top end speed that I don't think that um, I, I just don't think that I pushed the boat down enough to hold um, to get a long run out of it. And, uh, so yeah, so overall I couldn't, you know, my nutrition was on point. Um, I had no issues with that and I did not fade at all. I got to the end of that race and I was, felt just as good as I could have. Um, I just knew that I couldn't, once I got to Oneana, uh, Bennett had already made up all the time on me and I just knew that he wasn't going to take a bad line and, I was only hoping that he just blew up, but he didn't. Um, and like I said, I got some time back on him in that second half, but just not enough to close the gap. That's a pair of world, world-class pros going at it in the C1 race, so it is between you and Benjamin. Um, that's a great race. Any idea, now, you raced the GRB Stinger, obviously. Any idea what Ben was in for a boat? I would assume it was a Savage River product, but yes. it happens when you assume. Yeah, it was, he was in his D4, 18 foot. So okay, 18 footer. Yes. Yeah, Ben's been racing an 18 footer for a while now, but he it's you know mainly because of his weight. You know he's around 160, so um, he seems to like the 18 footers. Um, I honestly I like 18 footers too. Um, and talking with Gene, you know who made uh, who makes the Stinger. Um, you know, he's he's told me in the past that ideally I should be in a low volume 18.6, which the Stinger is not a low volume 18.6. So, um, but yeah, so. Um, yeah, for the guys that are kind of in between, you either pick up an 18 or I think probably the D3 is the best of the low volume 18.6s. Mm-hmm. that's not coming from personal experience just kind of what it yeah. seems like when you look at the results that's what people kind of gravitate towards i can kind of confirm that I've paddled just about all of them and i keep trying to jam square peg into round hole with the d2 and it actually doesn't work quite as good for me as my original dealer 18 does or definitely not i borrowed a d3 a few different times and it yeah it, it's night and day different for me at 168 pounds yeah yeah that one that 160 to 180 range pound range is a tough range for for c1s because they're usually either for under that or, or above that so um but it's, you know, it's the best spec boat that I had, uh, you know, the the ability to race. And, and I wouldn't have uh, changed my uh, equipment decision, you know. Um, yeah, that, absolutely. Sure. Terry, it's used the Stinger to win the 70 before. So that's, you oh, know, yeah. race-proof and war weapon right there. So it is. Um, yeah, but, yeah but, but Terry Kent's always around 200 pounds, too. So. Uh, <laughs> yep, exactly. That's what has to meet. 
meat match the boat. Yeah. No, it's interesting you mentioned the data. I've seen your data. It, it looked really good. My thought, like on paper, mm-hmm. as I was skimming over it, going over it one night, was, man, if Kevin had another 50 miles, like, <laughs> you look that good, you know, at, at mile 55, mile 60. So congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was very surprised with my uh, data looking at, you know, actually just seeing it as I'm clocking off the miles, you know, because you figure you have eight and almost nine hours to yourself for the most part. Um, only time you see someone is when you pass a boat and you, you don't even stop to say hi, you know, uh, type of a thing. And uh um, but seeing just the miles click off and I'm like eight, you know, eight forty five, eight thirty. 845 830 like it was just like so consistent um and looking back at when i did it in the c1 in 2015 and in that set in that last quarter i was hitting tens 1030s and you know it just went like it just plummeted you know um, where, the wheels were off yep right but but this was was a totally different story so so that's why I'm uh, extremely happy with how I how I uh, how I performed. If you're interested, I hear there's going to be this thing before the marathon where anybody can enter, and I'm sure they'd love to have you in that GRB Stinger to go from Grayling to Oscoda. Just to <laughs> yeah, the Osaba River Challenge. Yeah, you're, you're refer, what you're referring to, Black. Yeah, well, uh, I, I I won't be doing that, and. Uh, unfortunately i don't think you'll be seeing me in a race in the stinger uh anymore either so <laughs> on to on to but that that's a story for a whole nother day Twitter pastors uh, different pastors yep just different pastors just different yep. pastors i'm going you know um moving down grabbing a, grabbing me a concept um you know from the grb line uh i uh, love that boat and it's a lower volume boat so gonna go over that because i don't have any plans to race anything that i need to have a a spec boat for so um but yeah so let's let's move on let's let's uh, enough about the c1 race that was uh let's talk about the big daddy the the c2 race um so right off the right off the bat i think we all um were kind of expecting the the first place finish and uh, they are, you know, great champions, and it's a well-deserved uh, finish. Uh, but it was Steve Lajoie and uh, Mike Davis um, took the took the W with a, a time of seven hours and fifty-three minutes and twenty-three seconds. I want to say about these guys, I saw them uh, pass by. <laughs> I actually saw them at their last feed, and. Uh, I was they were coming up on me all of a sudden Mike goes he's like hey he's like hey that's our feed on the left and I'm like not expecting it because I already took my feed like an hour you know an hour ago or so I don't know who knows what the what the time was but um so he's like ah that's our feed up on the left so I'm like oh oh crap I wasn't even paying attention <laughs> so I scooted out of their way and then you know they got their feed and and I think Trevor was like uh, like 1:30 or something like that, talking about the time that was you know between them and you know next place. And I'm sitting there paddling and see them just skyrocket past me. And man, they looked strong. And then um, 
And I'm like looking back and I'm like, where is, where is second place? <laughs> I'm like, this is not, you know, 130. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, I was I was surprised at how strong they looked extremely strong at that point in the race. And uh, they just I'm, I'm guessing if we looked at their data, that's brought, you know, they just kept on pulling and pulling more and more time. I mean, Rebecca might be able to give us a, a little bit better of a, a story on this. Yeah. And I'm sure like if, or when we get their interview, you'll get the full story, but from the sounds of it, the front of the race was a lot more tactical than maybe we were expecting with uh, a little bit lower water levels. But I think the first part being pretty high and then um, also having, you know, just pretty good water most of the way down, at least decent, um, the front stayed together a little more and that was kind of a decision, um, at least for Mike and Steve that, you know, they're like, we're not going to try to blow it up. Um, but if it happens, it happens and we'll try to keep it. Um, except when, you know, when you hit Wells bridge pretty much after that, you know, it's just going to be like a sprint to the finish. So after blow um, it up. Yep. So that's where they ended up making their, their move to get down to, to being alone. Um, but I think the, they started to break teams off, uh, at Goodyear, you know, as usually happens that portage and cut, and then the fast water after, after that kind of starts to break people up, um, had a few teams come back before Oneana when things slow down. And then, um, again, the Oneana portage and fast water after that kind of broke it down to just two. So two boats, uh, Guillaume and Jimmy and, Mike and Steve kind of stayed together. And then once they hit wells, it just kind of broke apart. So um, that, that was kind of, you know, more tactical uh, racing than, than sometimes happens at the Clinton as far as the packs go. Um, it's West and Weston were really strong. They did flip. Um, and that kind of may have been their demise, at least in the, for maybe a second place finish, but um, they flipped over right after Goodyear on a, on a tree that the current was pushing you kind of towards and if you knew it was happening you could get out of the way but if you weren't quite ready for it you went right into it so um they did that and then actually did manage to pull um mike and steve had pulled away from everyone at that point and they pulled guillaume and jimmy back up there but i think by their own admission maybe went a little too quickly (laughs) to get back up there instead of waiting um, or, or not waiting, but pacing a little more until they hit the slower water where it would be easier to gain. Um, and then that maybe cost them a little bit further down the race, but they obviously rallied pretty well and, and finished only, let's see, a little less than two minutes behind Jimmy and Guillaume. So, uh, I, I haven't talked to him that much about it, but, uh, one of the things that my, my dad says about racing racing to win is you sometimes you have to be up there a little bit and see how the races break up before you can make the decisions that are really going to put you in that in the position to come away with the victory so um you know I, I think those guys are getting that good valuable experience and seeing what everyone does and working together really well as a team mm-hmm. so yeah so even even if they were hoping for a little more i think that's still like a really solid finish and solidifies that they should be there oh yeah for sure for sure, um, and and we gotta say congratulations to you um, as well. You were first place mixed and tenth place overall, so another top ten uh, 
in a triple crown race. Congratulations, Becca, Rebecca. Thanks. I, uh, I was, I, <laughs> having decided to race with Norman, like th- three weeks before the race, or maybe a little less, there was kind of a lot to figure out. Um, whose boat are we using? What boat do we like? How is this going to go? You know, let's, let's actually try to paddle together. Like at least when we get out there. Um, but Norman was awesome. Super strong the whole way. I learned a ton. Uh, just was a, it was a dream situation for me, considering that I got dumped by Mike, <laughs> um, which I did <laughs> gladly. Right? Yep. I, he, he wasn't going to dump me. And I was like, you have to. I will find someone. It's fine. <laughs> um, and fortunately, it was Norman. So uh, a 10th was like, I thought if everything went like really, really well, we could get 10th. Like, like we'd have to have like a pretty perfect race. And that, that's what happened. And and we were able to do it. And I was talking to Mike. I've, I've been pretty spoiled with all of my all of my men's partners at the Clinton have have now won the Clinton. So when I race mixed, I, I only race with winners. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> um, and, and my women's partners are, are have also won the women's um, in tri- in their triple crown races too. So. I guess I'm picky. <laughs> <laughs> or you're just that good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just go with picky. Now, I wanted to get uh, a take from uh, Bill and, and Ryan, who, who weren't at the race. Um, what was your guys' opinion of the race from uh, the, like, coverage standpoint and everything like that? Because I know you guys, <laughs> believe it or not, I knew that you guys were, were um, watching because my watch gives me notifications when our little group text goes off. <laughs> So I'm like, I'm like, oh, they're 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 trying to listen to the race and stuff. <laughs> you were looking and reading the notifications when you should have been paddling. <laughs> no, I thought the coverage was absolutely fantastic. The the radio station did a great job. Um, the fact that you could stream it online for free without having to download download any goofy apps or anything. Like, I literally was listening to the Clinton unfold. As I was sitting in the river, soaking from a, a post sable paddle, it was great. And they did a really nice job. Um, they went further back into the pack than what I kind of figured that they would. And they had different people throughout at different points kind of giving you an idea as to what the gap differential was. So if you knew roughly where everything was and where they were, you could figure out roughly what had happened and what, what went on. So... Yeah, I thought I thought the radio coverage was really excellent. Uh, I very much appreciated the uh, interviews that they did after uh, teams had finished, uh, getting getting that fresh, uh, you know, while it's fresh in their head interview, and and some of those were pretty entertaining. Um, the the only gripe I would have is there wasn't a whole lot of uh, really good social media um, content mm-hmm. that was easy like easy to find like. Accessible. Yeah, if if you knew some of the feeders that were following the race, you could you could jump on their their pages and whatnot. But um, you know, I, I did see a few videos that were were pretty good. Um, uh, the one I saw, uh, Jake Kratzer and, and Matt Mearsman were leading, and then 
there was another one looked like there were a bunch of teams led by um, you know, Mike and Steve heading to the first portage and um, th those videos are really fun to watch and, and uh, but overall I thought it was really good. Great yeah um, now was there from your spectators point of view were you guys surprised to, to hear how the race unfolded or or were you guys uh, like oh this, this sounds about right? Um, kind of for me, it was it kind of sounded. Um, I was in a discussion down in Texas when I paddled down there, talking about kind of how I thought the pro race was going to go, and I suspected that at Goodyear the the first set of actions would start to happen, um, and then we would see a regroup. Um, I didn't know where the actual like the go point was, I guess. Which, from the sounds of, of talking to Rebecca, it sounds like Wells Bridge was it. Like, this is it. we got to go and just blow it up. Um, but they did a really nice job unfolding, and it kind of played out. Of course, you didn't know what happened to West and West and, you know, the, the story behind them or anything. But they did a really nice job painting the picture for me anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the race, the race kind of played out how I thought as well. Uh, I thought there would be a, a little bit bigger of like that third group pack. Um, it, it seemed like it was a little more single file in that in that range where you usually see that third you know pack uh, group up. Um, but you know, having having followed the race you know a little bit over the years, you kind of get the gist of when the leaders are going to make their move and and you know, where the packs are going to ride, so. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, no, Ryan, how, um, I know you've probably taken a look at this. How far off was the N NACPR uh, um, uh, predictions off from actual finishes? Oh, for the top 17, they had held up really well, actually. Uh, top 17 or 7? Top 17. Um, if, if you go by, you know, the the estimated range where it predicted the teams, um, all, all but six were in the range, and then the six that missed were only off uh, by one or two in most cases. So, uh, you know, the projections held up really well at the top half. Um, the, the middle section, not so much, but, I mean, there's so much variables that go into that. It, it wasn't surprising to see him fall apart in that area. Yeah, for sure. Um, but that's what I was surprised when we when I was looking back at it. I'm like, oh, that that seems like the the um, the, the rankings uh, predictions were, were pretty pretty close, um, as they usually are. I think uh, um, going back. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, with that. I think is a, a good little segue into, you know, the NACPR um, predictions came up with, with one thing, but there's got to be some standouts, um, some teams that um, outperformed or, or possibly underperformed. Um, let's talk about those guys. Let's, uh, let, let's dive a little bit into that. Um, who wants to start with their pick for uh, a standout I'll, team? I'll start, and I'm going to do two. <laughs> mm -hmm. My first one I want to mention, since we haven't yet, is um, Mary Schlimmer and Sarah Lassard 
winning the women's race uh, and finishing 19th overall. Um, anytime a women's team can finish top 20 at a triple crown race, that stands out to me. Uh, they were moving really well. Uh, Sarah went in the bow, in case anyone wasn't aware. Uh, when they raced five years, six years ago, they raced the other way with Mary in the bow and Sarah in the stern. Um, it doesn't seem to matter. They're fast both ways. <laughs> and uh, they also have a lot of fun. So they were mixing it up um, in the pack with the second and third place mixed teams um, pretty much the whole way. And it looked like they were really competitive in there and uh, ended up winning winning out of the teams they were with all day. So that, uh, that deserves a shout out. Uh, really impressive race, ladies. <laughs> And for my my surprise pick, um, not too much of a surprise, I guess, on, on finishing position, um, but they did have a, a more solid race than I was expecting um, with Serge Paget and Louis-Simon uh, Pruneau. I was expecting them to finish, I believe they were eighth. Um, that was kind of in their range, but I think they beat what I thought maybe were a few stronger teams um, out of Quebec and then out of Michigan as well. Uh, so congrats to those guys for really putting it together. Uh, it would appear to be their best race of the season um, at the big one. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll go next. Um, I think that um, Got to give a, a, a shout out to Megan Roberts and uh, Kelly uh, Truitt. So um, they were the second place uh, women's team and they placed 26th overall. And, uh, you know, uh, I think they, they impressed a lot of people um, from the from the stories I've heard. And uh, it was a pretty good race between them and uh, Eve and Lydia uh, for third place. But um I know in the pre-show we were talking about how we were um, wondering if their inexperience would, um, you know, uh, hurt them. But it looks like their fitness really helped them, um, and they were able to to go out and crush it, crush a good uh, a good a good result. And uh, I'll give a second one. Two, uh, my second one would be um, uh, would be. Why can I not see it right now? It would be Matt and Jake. Um, and the reason I'm going to call this out is because Jake was one of my, um, you know, people to look out for. And uh, if you guys go back to our uh, um, preseason uh, show where we were um, going over uh, racers to look out for, he was on on my list. And uh, for his first Clinton finish, he placed sixth. Which is is quite remarkable. So um, I still think I get points because I had him at number one on that episode. <laughs> yep. So, um, so those are my two picks. Uh, Bill, what are yours? No, I'm gonna. You mentioned Jake and Matt, so I'll uh, I'll defer away from them. But they my three. Um, number one for me was actually Rebecca's first pick from that episode. Uh, or actually, take it back. I think it's my second. Second, I, yeah. second, right? Yeah. Uh, the Mecklenburgs. Like, we saw the Mecklenburgs at Ross Common. Talked about them a little bit in the pre-show. Like, hey, where are they going to play? Stuff like that. 
they legitimately had a great race. Fifteenth um, place overall, I believe. I'd have to. I don't know the results yep. up in front. Yep. Fifteenth. Um, looked at Travis again in Ann Arbor over the past weekend, and that's a real deal. And to go out there in your first Triple Crown race at, at his age and end up fifteenth. Both him and, and Dan, I believe his dad, if I understand correctly, that's impressive. That was my team that really stood out to me. Um, obviously, Jake and Matt were the easy pick. But then my other pick, uh, Team 2000 Miles, I had Lydia on for a hub take. Her uh, and Ev did an absolutely fantastic job. Uh, it sounds like they had a, a close race to race it out at the end with Kelly Truitt and Megan Roberts. So made for a really interesting race within the race in the, in the women's field. So those are my two. Great picks. Uh, Ryan. Uh, I wanted to give a, a big shout out to uh, Katie Peck and James Dunbar. Um, I did see the video. They had a lengthy tip and then they still managed to uh, eke out a, a 29th uh, place finish, which I thought was really good. Um, especially considering that tip and seeing about 20 canoes go by them. Uh, during that tip and then um p.o uh, canal and uh, danny medina uh, they finished seventh and if i'm not mistaken that was the best finish for both of them for any uh triple crown race uh and i yeah. I, I thought they I, had a really strong race p.o did get fourth at classic last year uh that field was a little bit weird um not taking anything away from him him and francis trudell had an awesome race but um, this Clinton was definitely stacked, so <laughs> that's it's a yeah, big finish. <laughs> this field is a big accomplishment. When you yeah. get to the top ten to move up a position in a field of this level is a really big accomplishment, in my opinion, anyways. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For hey, real sure. quick, the uh, the real MVP of the Peck Dunbar excursion it was Katie's fiance. Yes. Wardell. Um, Wardell, yeah, I, I didn't know if I got that right or not. Who chewed the foam block down so that they could <laughs> race. Well, they chewed it down. I don't know if you all have heard that story, but it's absolutely insane. He's the real MVP. Yeah, yeah, that was that was uh, quite a story uh, that I that I heard on that. And uh, <laughs> and I, that is that is a really good pick too, is James and Katie, uh, because it, that was his first triple crown, and to have like something big happen where you're, you think you're in pretty good position and then all of a sudden you're not um, to really just like mentally stick with that. Uh, that's a really good lesson for for anyone starting out, um, but it's never a fun one to learn. So yeah. that's, that's big to come back from that. And that on was... uh, Megan and Kelly too, I, I believe they, uh, they had some pretty stellar canoeist world training plans they were following to get prepped. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 uh, Megan did, uh, take advantage of, uh, the Clinton prep, uh, plan that I, that I did and, uh, talking with her after she, she, she thought it worked really well for her. So I'm really glad that, that actually, uh, you know, someone, someone benefited from, from the work that I put in, uh, with that. And, uh, but yeah, yeah. So she did that too. Yep. And, uh, and I'll, I'll say that James, um, that's like one of his very few marathon races period too. So not only is it a first like, uh, uh, triple crown race, but one of his, uh, uh, the very 
you know, he's only had like maybe three marathon races, uh, under his belt or so. Um, and, but he's like totally bitten the bug, uh, for marathon. So he's going to be probably one of my picks for, uh, next year's, uh, who to watch out for. So, um, especially cause he's going to be, he's going to be racing some nice digs, uh, uh, coming up, uh, at a C1 race, uh, sometime. Or is there a that you passed her for the stinger? <laughs> Who knows? But hopefully, hopefully the good juju can uh, can can go to the next uh, the next recipient of that boat. So, um, but yeah, uh, th- those are some uh, some good stories. And anyone have any other uh, uh, random stories or, or anything that you guys want to mention out? We're not not Clinton related, but I think this is a great spot to mention the Texas Water Safari is about to happen, and there is a showdown brewing between the the predicted number one and two teams down there. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, Rebecca can probably uh, jump in a little bit more on that, but um, yeah, tell us a little bit about the the breakdown, Rebecca. What we're looking for, uh, which this race is going to be. Starting this weekend, uh, this should this this episode should air before the race uh, race begins. But um, this weekend it goes down. Yeah, so Texas Water Safari starts uh, 9 a.m. Central Time on Saturday, and the official cutoff is I think noon. It might be 1 p.m. on Wednesday, so it's a hundred hour cutoff uh, as of today. Uh, which is Wednesday, the water level looks like it's going to be pretty low and it's been pretty windy um, in that part of the country this this year. So it should be low, hot, and rough. (laughs) Um, A a kind of a deadly combination, which is really going to kind of wear on the teams and also um, may come into the Asabo prep for some of those racers because the the first two um, six man presuming presumably one and two in the race um, a lot of those guys are going to double up and some of them are coming off the Clinton as well um, so that that would be a heck of a eight weeks of racing <laughs> to get those yeah. three races in um, so a few weeks ago we talked about the prelim um, which is the race that seeds the starting position for the water safaris so the team that won that. Um, was Chris and Kyle Eisendorf, William Russell, Tim Rask, Tommy Yonley, and Nick Walton. And then just behind them in that prelim was Andrew Condy, Ian Rolls, Clay Wyatt, Gaston Jones, Logan Minar, and Weston Willoughby. Uh, so those two teams are in six-man unlimited. They're going to go back and forth between kayak paddles or double blade and then canoe single blade um, throughout realistically close to two days of racing they're going to be doing this this coming weekend uh the water safari has a tracker on every team so you can follow around along um if you go to the the texaswatersafari.org website you can follow along once the race begins um there's also a lot of if you're you know following marathon there's a lot of other familiar names and faces in the race uh the team gunning for third place is um, Shannon Eisendorf, uh, Virginia Parker, Jason Kate, and, uh, um, 
Dad, yep. Jaeger, and Jason Cade. Um, again, there might be some surprises there. This is going to be a long race, but they look pretty strong going into it. Um, after that, some solos and tandems will probably start to mix it up. Um, but man, it's it's going to be a, a tough year from the sounds of things. Um, I got to tip my hat to those aluminum novice teams. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if anyone's been following the Instagram for the water safari, but there's a picture um, in their countdown photos of an aluminum canoe crossing the bay in probably the roughest conditions I've ever seen a C2 in. And they look like they're having a great time. (laughs) (laughs) That looks terrifying. I know the picture that you're referring to and that looks terrifying. Yeah. But um, so, you know, if you're, if you're in a Clinton slump, post Clinton slump, be sure to check out the water safari this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say that in the, in that uh, top two race that you're looking at, you're talking uh, a person from third place, fourth place and uh, fifth place uh, at the Clinton you know, or on those teams. Yeah. And then I think 11th also. And uh, I know Nick Walton didn't didn't yep. race this year, but, you know, he's perennial top 10 paddler. Uh so, yeah, I think uh, from what I understand, I've been talking to Cecily uh, Boogie about it quite a bit. And she's she's a water safari veteran as far as I'm concerned. Um, and she said a lot of it's going to come down to with those two teams both being so strong is making sure you're rotating your bows out regularly because the bow seat is um, is really tough. Uh, so you have to make sure you don't burn anyone out. But then also every time you stop to switch and, you know, if you get in that really good rhythm to break that up um, for preservation later, it can sometimes be kind of hard. And then she said another big mistake, um, since there are some rookies on water safari rookies on both teams, um, if she calls them day one paddlers, they get, you know, this is the big the big dance, get really excited, go out way too hard day one, and then you pay for it day two. So, um, you know, while both teams look incredibly strong, I think the fact that they're so evenly matched um, you know, could, could come into play, uh, yeah. strategy wise. Yeah. Who can, who can pace it better, you yep. know, and, and basically know, you know, that they're staying within themselves and, and hopefully the other team is, is, is just above that, that threshold and blows up. Yeah. So, yeah. That's great. Um, at, I think uh, unless you guys have anything else you guys want to add to it, I think this is a good place to to wrap this one up. I will take that silence as you guys agree. So um, uh, thank you guys for taking your time out to uh, discuss the Clinton. Um, uh, we would I would like to uh, get any feedback from any of the listeners who have listened to this hour long episode. Um, any feedback you guys can give us, we're more than happy to uh, take it in and, and try to make uh, future episodes better. Um, and, but until next time, guys, keep paddling on. Thank you for listening to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, where we love marathon canoe racing and aren't afraid to say it. Be sure to visit the website at CanoeRaceWorld.com. And don't forget to support our sponsors who make this whole thing possible. Until next time, keep paddling.